now listening to Grace City Portland. When we're talking about identity, and that, that was the big idea last week, um, when we're considering like the well-being of our souls, that's an identity question. You know, you, your life might be going great, it might be going down the dumps, you might have money, you might be broke, you might, you know, all these different factors and these things can change and, and that's life. But in terms of the well-being of your soul, like what's, what's really going on inside? Like how are you really? How are we really? That's an identity question. That's, that's more to do to like w- with the core of who you are. As followers of Jesus, this is how it works. Now, I'm not assuming that you are a follower of Jesus. In fact, um, I'm always kind of hoping that this would be the kind of community that um, if you're just checking out Christianity or, or perhaps even spirituality in general, um, come, be, be a part of the community. Um, explore that in relationship. But if you do aspire to follow Jesus and to experience salvation, uh, abundant life as Jesus puts it, the way that works is that we begin to experience a new identity in Jesus. It's not just uh, behavioral modification. It's not just a few new feelings. It's not even just some new ideas that we might uh, ascend to or, or ascribe to. Uh, to be fair, it's, it's probably a combination of all of those things, but at its core, to follow Jesus and to experience new life in him, that's, that's something altogether deeper um, and to do with our identity. So that's what we started talking about last, um, last week. And so the way we do that, we look to who God is as he's revealed himself in Jesus. Who he is is how we're meant to see ourselves. Jesus is the ultimate human being. It's God who entered into creation to live a human life, uh, to rescue us, but to also demonstrate for us. This is what it looks like. This is what life was always meant to be. And so we look to Jesus, and he says, I am. In fact, if, it's, if you've ever done um, a study through the, the Gospel of John, here's a fun one for you. There's seven I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the Gospel of John. He says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd, etc., etc. And everything that Jesus says about himself reveals something about who we are, who we are in Christ. So that's the idea. I am, we are. And not just Jesus is, and therefore me as a private individual am. I mean, that's always fun, but uh, that's not the way we're meant to follow Jesus and experience an identity in him. Um, Not merely as individuals. It's always meant to be done together. So the big idea of the series is I am, we are. We look to Jesus, and in him we discover our identity as we follow him and as we grow and as we move along. 
You guys with me? That's the big idea, as best as I can explain it. Okay, we're going to open the scriptures now, and I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of 1 John. It's all the way towards the end of the New Testament, and um, that's where we're going to begin today. Last week uh, was the introduction. I kind of laid out the premise, the idea that we are to find our identity in Jesus, and we looked at how uh, God clothes, clothes us in Christ. Um, now we're going we're gonna to get down to the nitty-gritties. Like, what does that mean if you are clothed in Christ, as it were? Okay, what, what are you wearing? What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, and that's what, that's what we're going to do today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We want to look to you now as the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who has rescued us and the one who leads us and helps us to experience a new kind of life, even a new identity as your followers. Heavenly Father, as your children, so I pray that you'd help us now as we look to your words in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him, that is Jesus, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And some translations simply say, we are like Jesus in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. As I said, who am I in Jesus? What, how am I meant to understand my identity as a child of God? As he is, so am I in this world. If I want to know who I am, I simply need to look to Jesus. Who is Jesus? How did he live his life? You know, I've heard the argument made more than once that, you know, I might say something like that or some preacher may, may make some sort of statement like that and then you might be thinking in your minds like, yeah, but isn't Jesus God or something like that? Like, easy for him, right? I'm not God. Wrong. That's really bad theology. Um, the writer of Philippians says that Jesus, the Son of God, emptied himself humbling himself 
uh, relinquishing his rights and authority to divinity that he might live among us. He became a baby. He, he grew. He learned. He experienced temptation. He lived an actual human life. He never ceased being God. That would be even like worse theology. And yet it was God in the flesh living as a real human being, but not just a human being, a human filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus, the God-man, lived a life where the Spirit abided in him and he in God. There was a perfect union between Son and Father by the Spirit. And that's how Jesus lived his life. That's how Jesus was able to obey the Father, to trust his heavenly Father. That's how Jesus was able to walk through crowds who at one hand wanted to forcibly make him king of Israel and a few minutes later wanted to throw him off a cliff because he wouldn't cooperate. Totally unaffected because he knew who he was. Because he was filled with the very spirit of God. Can we go to the next slide, please? The big idea this morning I am, we are, spirit-filled. Jesus is the quintessential spirit-filled man. We are to see ourselves as a spirit-filled people. How do you feel about that? Good? Nervous? A little nervous? I got a couple nods there. Like, oh, spirit-filled, isn't that like a weird charismatic thing? Mm. Isn't it tragic, though, that, that that's, that's like an actual, actual valid thought? Um, that as soon as you say spirit-filled, you're like, oh, like, uh, what's that church in Reading? Um, are we that? Please tell us we're not that. And I have nothing against Bethel, don't get me wrong. But these are the sort of, like, feelings that, that kind of that go out there. Like, oh, gosh, spirit-filled. Like, oh, that, that's just, isn't that weird? Like, um, Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. I will say this, though. Totally biblical. We're going to actually go through quite a bit of scripture this morning. So if you brought a pen and a piece of paper, you might want to jot down a few verses. We'll read a few from the slide, and I'll reference a whole, whole slew of others. That doesn't sound right. Whatever. Okay, let, let, me, let me share this story with you. When I was 24, this is my testimony. When I was 24 years old, I was a senior, just finishing my degree at Cal State Long Beach, Southern California. Got a math degree, applied math, super useful. As you can see, I use it all the time. And I went to a meeting. Some of you have heard, heard me share my testimony many, many times. I went to a meeting and I heard the gospel. I'd heard it before, I'm sure I had, but something about this night, I heard the gospel and I felt this deep, heavy, miserable feeling of conviction. Like I felt convicted. I, I realized like I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner living for myself. God gave me life and you know, I'm just living it for myself. And I felt convicted. And so I made the decision, I, I need to surrender my life to God. Um, he gave me life. 
I should be living for the reason that he created me, that he gave me life from the first place. So I became a Christian. I prayed a prayer. I even, I even stood up, and I, it was this whole thing. It was this whole experience, and it was very emotional, and it, it was slightly confusing, but, but I did it. Then I went home. Actually, before I went home, I had to lock up the building. I was working that night. I was actually like on duty. Everyone left. I'm walking around this big, empty building, the student union, locking all the doors. And I'm just like, man, what was that? That was just, it was so weird. But like, that was real. And I locked all the doors and I set the alarm and I went home. And I, I did two things. I can remember it so vividly. I threw away my porn and I threw away my pot. And this really sweet, like, porcelain four-host hookah as well. Um, marijuana went down the toilet. The hookah went in the dumpster behind my apartment building. And I went to bed. And it was weird. Like, I just knew to do that. I'm like, I just, like if I'm going to follow Jesus, I, I don't have a verse for it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this, is, this has got to be part of it. Like, I'm just going to. And so I did it. And the next morning I got up. And it was just surreal. And I thought, what was that? Like, why did I do that? And, but it felt right. It felt good. I'd made a decision, a quality decision. Still had a million questions, but I had decided. Like, this was it. God, God, God got a hold of me. And I gave my life to him. I can remember uh, waking up that morning, getting a knock on the door. My buddy Grady, buddy slash drug dealer Grady from down the hall, Knocked on the door, I opened it up. He had my porcelain hookah in his hand with this grave look of concern on his face. He's like, hey, I found, I found this in the dumpster. Like, is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, everything's great. Come on in, let me tell you about it. So he proceeded to try to like give me the hookah back. I'm like, no, 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 like, Grady, it's yours, dude. It's all yours. Let me tell you what happened to me last night. And I... I told him about how I met Jesus, and I realized, like, I'm done. Here's the point of my story. Over the next several weeks, months, eventually years, I began to become more and more aware that something had fundamentally changed, like, inside of me. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I, I, I actually wanted to start living differently I, I had desires. The whole pot thing, I threw away the pot. You know, how many times over a period of like a decade I had thrown my pot away? Anyone who's ever smoked pot for like a prolonged amount of time, I guarantee you eventually it will get old. I promise you, you will have these points in your life where you're like, oh, this is just, there's got to be a better way to like use my brain cells. And so then you'll get, if you're anything like me at all, you'll be like, ah, oh, forget it. Like, I'm going to throw it away. Like, I'm done. You know, and then like a couple days go by. You're like, oh, why did I do that? Like, and then you just sort of like relapse. You just go round and round and round and round. Why? Because fundamentally nothing's really changed. You've just kind of gotten a little sick of like the, the consequences of your sin, but you still desire those things. Same thing with, with porn, you know. Just after a while, you're like, ugh, this, this just, no, that's not, that's not living. That's just, it's bondage is what it is. But unless God does something with our desires, 
unless God begins to mess with our very identity, all we're ever doing is just trying to change our behavior and, and kind of going back and forth. Or if you don't go back to the old behavior, you just simply find a substitute for it. And that's, that's how we tend to, to live our lives. But God did something inside of me. Now, I didn't have a category, category for this for a long time, but what I eventually discovered, because I started reading my Bible, I realized, oh, I think I got born again. I think that's what happened to me. I got like properly born again. Like I've become, um, it's what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he says, anyone who is in Christ Jesus has become a new creature or a new creation. Like I, I had been transformed or at least I was being transformed, maybe a bit of both. Um, it's like what Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. He says, for whoever has been crucified with Christ, it's no longer he or she who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you. The follower of Jesus, the person who, like myself, who repents of their sin, and says, I don't want to live that way anymore, I feel really convicted, like God gave me life. Surely he's got like a plan for my life. And so you choose to turn away from that old way of living and you begin to follow and to trust and to obey Jesus. That's called being crucified. Like the old self dies, like Jesus. And then this new person is born again. This new creature comes to life. Sounds like a weird sci-fi movie. And that's called being born again. Like Jesus, we start living as humans who are filled with the spirit of God. You guys with me so far? Has anyone ever experienced this? Yeah? Raise your hand if you're born again. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Why is this important? Why is this really, really important? Besides it just being like good, solid theology, like why is this so extremely important that we understand this? Um, God began to speak to me in alliterations this week, so you know it's anointed. Um, but I've got a few D's that I want to share with you now. Um, the answer to the question, why is this so important? Uh, number one, okay, so this is a bit of a review from last week. If, if we begin to think about identity, um, oftentimes, I, I don't want to like assume this is how everyone is, but let me just speak generally. Oftentimes, when we think about identity, we start thinking about uh, doing. So, you know, I want to reinvent myself. I don't like who I am, so I'm going to change like some sort of external thing. And that's, that's a pretty normal thing to do. Um, it can get really frustrating because either you're really good at it, in which case mm, you're probably going to, you could possibly end up being quite prideful in your self-righteousness, your ability to, to look good and talk right and be religious, et cetera, et cetera. And so we can attempt to transform our identity on that level. Um, or, and I mentioned this yesterday, I kind of emphasized this, we can Focus on our emotions. 
our feelings and we can begin to think to ourselves like if I can just get in touch with the real me, uh, I feel a certain way and if somehow I can just let those feelings out and, and be who I really am, then somehow that's, that's the true me. But really it's, it's more just to do with like how I'm feeling and feelings are funny because they're a bit neutral. It's not like feelings are good or bad. It's just some, we all have feelings. Some feelings, it's like, like I, I, didn't, you know, I didn't wake up one morning and decide to feel a certain way. In fact, I reckon we don't decide to feel anything. We just feel. I think it becomes problematic when we start to try to build an identity around our emotions. And I made the comment last week that, in fact, I think it's a bit degrading because I think humans are much more than just what we're feeling, um, for better or for worse. Uh, something that I didn't mention last week, but we can also begin to make our identity about what we're thinking. Um, this, we're really, really good at. We think if my life's not going the way I want it to, if if, if I don't like who I am, the solution is to just get more knowledge, read more books, um, develop myself intellectually. This can be super helpful. Okay, knowledge is obviously a powerful tool, and ignorance typically breeds fear and bigotry, but who was it that said, I think, therefore I am? Was it Sartre? John Sartre? Wasn't Descartes? I, sh- I should research these things before I try to sound smart in front of a crowd of people. <laughs> that, that led to the Enlightenment. I think most of us agree by now, actually the Enlightenment was a bit of a failed experiment. Super helpful in a lot of ways, but we are much more than what we think or how we think. Um, and I would especially make the case for someone who's perhaps um, mentally challenged or, or disabled. Um, they're no less human just because their cognitive faculties are perhaps, quote unquote, less than you or I. You are no less human just because you haven't read as many books as me or your IQ is not quite as high as mine. So these are typically the lanes we sort of, the ditches that we fall into. The Bible talks about something that transcends these, I would argue, more external things, and that is that Jesus has done something that fundamentally transforms who we are. See, we tend to think of identity, at least in religious terms, as like, here's who I want to become, X marks the spot. Here's who I am. And religion, and I use that word not in the positive sense, religion as in here's a set of rules, here's a set of uh, moral presuppositions that if you aspire towards, then you can eventually become who you would like to be. And that's, that's religion. 
work real hard, be real good, do the religious stuff, practice spirituality, etc., etc., etc. Maybe someday you can become this person that you aspire to be. The gospel is the exact opposite. We still start here. In fact, we all start here. I don't care how you were born, what you think, what, what your family of origin may or may not have been. We all start as relatively broken people in so many ways. And then God comes down. He dies for us so that we might be raised up and experience new life. Here, my identity is transformed. It's not something I have to work my way up to. It's not something I earn. It's not something I merit. It's not something I think. It's not something I change in my behavior. It's not a new feeling. It's something that God has done in Christ. And when I repent and put my faith in Jesus, God puts his spirit inside of me. And I become a child of God. It's something that just God has done or is doing. And so I begin to live up here. I'm now seated in Christ. I'm now seated with him on his royal throne in heavenly places. My identity in Jesus is one of royal blood. Now I begin to live this out. I begin to not try to become, I begin to live in light of who I now am, in light of what God has done. Which is why Jesus, he shouted from the cross just as he was breathing his last breath. It is finished. It's done. The work is completed. Now anyone who comes to me, anyone who comes broken, hungry, looking for righteousness, wanting to experience the life that I offer, all you can do is receive it from God because it's done. Now the beautiful paradox is that that doesn't equal spiritual fatalism. That doesn't mean like there's nothing left to do. It's like I just sort of, I'm just here, I'm done, I'm saved, I'm born again, and now I just sort of like, you know, whatever, lie on the beach and just, just look up at the stars and, and no, no, actually, I mean, how boring is that anyways? The scriptures say that we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We begin to walk it out, but not in the hopes that we might become someone rather in the wake of who we have become in Christ. You guys with me? It's a game changer. It's what we mean when we talk about freedom in Christ. I never have to prove anything to God, not in Jesus Christ, because what he has done is done. That's the first D. That's called resting. This is why, let me read this to you. 
This is the next slide. This is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he writes out a couple of prayers in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. This is one of them in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. He says, for this reason I bow my knees. That is, he prays before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, the apostle prays that the saints, that would be followers of Jesus, would understand who God is and what he has done. That's, that's, that's the work. If there's any work to be done, it's that we might have a greater revelation of who Jesus is and who we are in him, who we are in light of what he's done. Paul prays that often. God, open the eyes of their hearts that they might receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we all might know him better and in so doing, we might discover who we are because as he is, so are we in this world. What else? The Spirit tells me who I am. If the first D is done, the second D is define. I love what Paul says in Romans. This is another one on the screen. Chapter 8, verse 14 to 16. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's Daddy, Father. It's an intimate term. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's... that's um. That's mystic talk. That's, that's supernatural speak for your identity in Christ. It's something that the Spirit does. God redefines us by putting his Spirit within us. And when I woke up that morning, almost 20 years ago, something had happened Something had actually happened on the inside of me, and I began to realize, didn't have words for it, but in retrospect, I began to realize, I'm not the same person anymore. I'm I'm different. I have different, I have new desires. It's like, I want to live to honor my Heavenly Father. I want 
to obey God. I want to please him. And not to get something from him, but because I've been born again into the family of God. It's the most beautiful thing ever. <laughs> you know, when Jesus was baptized, you might, you might remember the story. This is Luke chapter 3. Um, it's interesting. The scriptures don't actually talk about Jesus being filled with the Spirit as a child, although I would argue he was, for sure. But we do get a very vivid glimpse at the moment of Jesus' baptism. Luke chapter 3, it says that he, he went to John the Baptist, who was his cousin, actually, and he said, I need to get baptized too to fulfill all righteousness. And as he was going down into the waters, this was a, a, a foreshadowing to his uh, his death, as he went down into the waters and he came up, the scriptures say that God the Father spoke from heaven as the Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, pretty weird, landed on Jesus as the Father spoke, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He defined him. He said, this is my Son, I love him, and I'm proud of him. That changes everything. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within the believer, when we become spirit-filled like Jesus, those words begin to resound in our own hearts. You're my son or my daughter. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Guys, if you've never had a, a mom or a dad or someone like that, speak those words over you, you have a father in heaven who, who wants to speak those words over you over and over again. In Jesus, I'm an adopted child of God. My heavenly father now defines me. I belong to him. I'm loved and I matter. Guys, there's, no, there's nothing more core to our identity than that. I'm loved and I matter. Many of us need to be redefined in those terms because you've been told, not only have you not heard those words, but you've been told other words. You're stupid and you'll never amount to anything. You're ugly and you only count in so much as someone is desiring your body. Those kinds of words that get spoken in a million and one different ways in our society. And the Father comes along by his spirit. It's, it's an incredible thing. The spirit bears witness with our spirit. The spirit tells us, you are a child of God. You are loved and you matter. You're beloved and I'm proud of you. You're mine. No one can touch you. No one can affect your identity. The world will try for sure. And we do a pretty good job ourselves at beating our own selves up. But the Father's voice resounds in the heart that's filled with the very Spirit of God. I love you and you matter. I love you and you matter. You're beautiful. You're precious. You're valuable. You're mine. I died for you and I'd do it all over again if you were the only 
person who ever lived. That is the heart of the Father. And that's, that's what happens to our hearts when we are filled with the Spirit of God. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit redirects our affections. Romans 12, 9, Paul makes this comment. He says, let your love be sincere. And he qualifies that statement by saying, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. So when the Holy Spirit, who is love, fills our hearts, God begins to redirect our affections. I start to hate getting high. And whereas I used to really just kind of enjoy porn, it began to make me literally sick to my stomach because God was now redirecting my affections to things that were good and whole and beautiful and right and lasting and healthy and whole and eternal. Things that are meant to feed my soul and not kill it like a cancer. The Holy Spirit begins to give us a hatred for the things that God hates, evil and sin, and gives us the desire to cling to what is good and from above. You want to stop sinning? You want to stop sinning? Here's how not to do it. Just try harder. Just try harder. That's a miserable way to live. You want to stop sinning? You need to let God redirect your desires. You need to surrender more of yourself. You need to give up and say, God, I'm, I'm helpless. Won't you give me your desires? I don't know that sounds like it. Really? Is that it? I've tried that. Didn't work. Try again. Try again. Sometimes it takes dying every day to self. Sometimes it takes crucifying the flesh over and over again. Sometimes it takes getting on our knees as Paul did and saying, God, help me. I'm a wreck. I've got nothing. I don't want to just try to reinvent myself. I don't want to just try to uh, you know, embrace my emotions or you know, uh, just sell out to popular cultural norms. I want you to help me. And God begins to redirect our affections. He begins to give us new desires, greater desires. To be sure, our old desires are always there. I will be honest with you. The marijuana thing, like when I got set free from that, I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm done. I'm so done. I remember in London one time, I was getting out of the, 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 the tube. This was on an outdoor platform. And there was a little nickel bag of weed. Do you guys, nickel bag, is that still a thing? A little nickel bag? $5 bag? Anyone ever smoke pot in here? <laughs> Sorry. And I, I, I almost stepped on the thing. It was a little bag of marijuana right on the platform. I stepped on the thing. And I picked it up. And I held it in my hand. And I was like, oh my gosh. I have marijuana in my hand. For like half a second, I thought about bringing it home to Shirley and be like, you want to try it? Like... <laughs> 
And then I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm so over it. Like I, God's desires for other things just overwhelmed me in the moment. I'm like, no way. Like I'm not going back to that trash. And I threw it in the trash. The porn thing, that's been a real fight. Like those desires have tried to like kind of seep back up through the crevices of my soul. And I've realized like, oh, what is that? Like, what is that? Like, I thought that guy was dead. And every once in a while, I've got, I've got to get the hammer of God's word out and just pound old Simon back into submission. Crucify old perv Simon. And be like, no, I'm not going to live like that. I am a child of God. I'm of royal descent. I'm a son of the king. Why would I live like that? And you know, when you do sin as a child of God, let me tell you what it is and what it isn't. What it isn't is you like becoming unsaved and somehow like, oh my gosh, I've sinned. Something, the Holy Spirit must have like left me. It's not that. God is is way too faithful to let us go every time we're not faithful. He's faithful even when we're not. When I sin, you know what that is? That's me like being spiritually schizophrenic. That's me being like, well, who, you know, I'm acting like someone I'm not for maybe a, a moment. I'm acting like someone I'm not. When I finally come to my senses, I'm like, that's not me. I'm acting like a dead man. That's not me. And I remind myself who I really am. And I repent. And I turn back to Jesus and I say, help me, help me. Last D, how do we experience a spirit-filled life in Jesus? This is the question. How do we experience this? Um, John 7, I think that's where we want to go. Yeah, there it is. John seven thirty-seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or her heart will flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to say that in this he spoke of the Holy Spirit who he was to pour out. Do you desire to be filled with the Spirit as Jesus was, to experience his life in this world? Then come to him. Thirst, desire, and drink. Are you thirsty this morning? You thirsty? I'm actually thirsty right now. Have you ever been like so thirsty you feel like you're going to die? You know, when we come to church and, and we have moments like this, and I do my best to, to teach the scriptures, we go on a bit of a journey together, and we, we ask the Holy Spirit to be here with us and to guide us and teach us. You know how we should leave here? Really, really thirsty. You know the old cliche, like, oh, I come to church to get fed, and oh, you know, the preaching's weak, I'm still hungry. Like, that, that's totally backwards. If anything, this should just be like 
a, a wetting of the appetite. You should leave here starving for more of God. Starving for more of his word. Thirsty for more of his presence. This is just to, to get the, the juices flowing. I will say this. <laughs> is that funny? <laughs> I will say this. The reason why so many of us, if I can just be super judgmental for a second, um, the reason why so many of you uh, come here and they leave like, oh yeah, I feel really filled up. That's not a good thing. It's because you've been fasting spiritually all week and it takes so little to actually satisfy you. You're like, oh my gosh, like that was amazing. Like, okay, I'm good till next week. It's because your spiritual stomach is like all shrunk up. You're, you're spiritually anemic. That's, that's what's happening. You should be thirsting. We should be thirsting, hungering and thirsting for more of God, more of his spirit. When we leave here, we should be like, my goodness, that, that only stirred up my appetite. And you wake up tomorrow morning thinking, I gotta pray. I've, I've gotta meet God in his word. I think I will fast this week. And we begin to desire God because we are thirsty for him. You know, Paul um, in Ephesians, he's talking about being filled with the spirit. And you know what he compares it to? He compares it to getting drunk. In fact, he says, don't get drunk with wine, but get drunk in the spirit. Have you ever been belligerent in the spirit? <laughs> this is what we're commanded to do. Don't get drunk in wine. That'll be fun for like a minute, and then you'll wake up with a hangover. And that's just, this is, this is lame. It's totally lame. God's like, look, I've got a better high for you. Seriously, this is, how God, this is how God works. He never just arbitrarily says, oh, don't do that, because God's just like really uptight that way. Like, oh, don't get drunk. Why? What if my life is miserable? What if that's like all I've got to get through the week or whatever your thing is? God says, no, I get it. I get it. Like you're empty, you're broken, your identity's a wreck, but don't get drunk with wine because I've got something way better. Get drunk in the spirit. Just get belligerent in the spirit of God because there you'll, you'll find living water beginning to flow out, love, joy, 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 peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like these are the things that begin to like happen in the life of a child of God when we're drinking of the spirit, when we're coming to Jesus thirsty, desiring more of the spirit of God, to be filled with the spirit like Christ. Are you guys with me?